Let's, uh, let's ask the Lord to <laughs> take this hour and maximize it for us. Father, we love you. We bless you. We rejoice in your presence today. Uh, we want to be the little blonde-headed girl in the back seat standing up and squealing and enjoying all the goodness of your creation and uh, your glory upon our lives. Thank you for the conversations we've had today. Thank you for the opportunities to be in this day that you've made and created. We're glad, we're so glad that we could partner with you, walk with you, know you, enjoy you as Papa. Mm -hmm. We bless you, Holy Spirit, for speaking to us, in us, through us, sharpen us uh, as we talk with one another today. In Jesus' name. Well, I want to um, I want to do just a little bit of teaching here to begin with to to kind of get us launched in a new idea that's got me kind of revved up, and it's uh, kind of a new search engine, and I'm uh, internal search engine, I'd say, in terms of a way to see um, Jesus trying to point us to something that was yet to come, and that was the unfolding of sonship. And I was just thinking about how many layers the Lord's kind of taken me through on this journey over the years, and I thought you might be interested in just kind of seeing how it's kind of unfolded for me. And so I put it this way, if you were to, if you were hungry to discover sonship for yourself, here are like seven layers I would encourage you to study. The first, which was where I got captured, was in John 13 through 17, which is the, the Last Supper, and the Lord just opening his heart, pouring out his heart, saying it like it is. He's talking plainly to them. And, of course, in that dialogue, he, he talks about the Father, I think, 44 or 48 times. And in the middle of that, then he introduces the Holy Spirit in a brand-new way, in a powerful way. John 13 through 17, Jesus speaks clearly about union. I'm in you, and you are in me in this powerful metaphor that he gives us which is totally uh, infusion in union is this communion. Take this bread and eat it. Take this cup and drink it. I'm in you. You're in me. Second layer, I would say, a study, Romans 8 and Galatians 4, where Paul just comes out and says, uh, the Holy Spirit in you is not to try to make you feel like a sinner. He's burning in you the reality of your sonship through the Abba cry. Uh, Romans chapter 8 and Galatians chapter 4. And then the third layer, uh, which was just uh, a couple of years ago, was uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5 and 6, where uh, Paul tells us that before the foundation of the world, God knew us, God chose us, and ordained us as sons. And uh, when the Lord showed that to me in Bogota, he said, I'm going to show you something you've never seen before, though it's been there all along. And then he said, before I knew you as a sinner, I knew you as a son, that shake me to the core, shook me to the core. And then I would say the, the fourth layer would be to study the meaning of the names of the 12 sons of Jacob, the tribes. In those names we've discovered are the pointers. Uh, so it shows us that way back in the beginning, well, of course, it's Jacob's sons. What is he going to show us through Jacob's sons? He's going to reveal to us the characteristics of sonship. So if you've not studied the 12 names of the sons, and then you have to notice that Dan is dropped out and Manasseh is put in, and that's what got me on that was in Revelations, where John the Revelator mentions those 12 names three different times, but Dan's not there. Dan means judgment. Manasseh takes his place, and Manasseh means forgive and forget. So that opened up a whole new realm for me. And then the fifth layer would be the study of the orphan characteristics of the Old Testament. And, of course, the Old Testament is full of the analogies of orphans, real orphans, and then those with orphan orphan hearts, orphan leadership. Saul was a classic orphan leader, and that's a great place to go. And just Easter Sunday, I just discovered in a, a new way that Jonah, the story of Jonah as the story of Israel itself, one running from their calling to bring the nations to Zion. Uh, Jonah was a picture of an orphan, self-preservation, trying to save himself uh, in the middle of God's call. And it brings us then to Revelations. And most of you that have been 
uh, a round table of friends the last couple of months have known the Lord's taken me through a journey in revelations, which I never wanted to go on. But what I discovered in, in marvelous light and detail was that uh, we don't need to be worried about the 666 on our foreheads. He's inscribing on our foreheads, according to John the Revelator, the name of the Father, the name of the Son, and the name of the Spirit Bride. And so you can see that uh, he is taking those that love him and by the Holy Spirit today, and he has been doing this since he poured out the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is inscribing a mindset of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So that, that brings me to uh, tonight that I want to really bring us into this thought. And I, I'm not going to try to lay this all out for you. I'm really hoping to get you on a journey because what we all know as teachers is that you're going to learn it better and deeper if you, if you um, carve it out, if you dig it out yourself. If we just lay it out on the table for you, then you kind of take it or leave it, take a little bit. But when you go in and dig it out yourself, then it's yours and it can't be taken from you. So I hope that I stir you up to this idea that when Jesus talks about his father, and when he uses a term that the Jews would have considered blasphemy, he was on treacherous ground, and he had to be taking that risk with an intention. He had to be calling God his Papa, his Abba, and calling him our Father as well to clue us in on sonship issues. Anything you want to say, babe? No, Sorry I didn't get you to... No, no, no. Go ahead. Sorry. I got to rolling and she's watching for your comments. So, so please jump in, add questions, comments along the way, and then Cheeky's going to bring those to us. So we know that the Jewish people held God's name as so sacred that they would not speak it or write it. To this day, Orthodox Jews and some Messianic Jews will write God as G dash D. Now, does that spell intimacy to you or does that spell distance? G-D, you can't say his name. In Jesus' day, it would have been considered blasphemous, and it still is. Jewish people would have never thought to call Almighty God, Adonai was the name they used in the prayers, mostly, Almighty God. They would not have ever thought to call him Abba or Papa. So when Jesus begins to use it referring to God, it sets him up, and it's eventually the accusation that sticks that kills him. Yeah, so it's not it's not just that they wouldn't use the name for God because he was so holy, but they never even conceived of God as personal father. Right? Yes. They, they yes. conceived of God as the father of creation, the father of the people of Israel, uh, but like more like the creator that's out there, far distant, untouchable, unre unreachable. Yes. And so the one of the things that Jesus brings to the table is this, you can know God intimately as your father specifically your father who knows you intimately and that's a revolutionary thought uh at that time for the for the people of his day there are only 18 times in all of the old testament where god is referred to as a father but it's never as a family father a father of a family it's always the father the progenitor the creator like the father of psychology or the father of rocket science uh it's it's the one that started something but Jesus comes, and this is where John's gospel is so different from the others. John drops that bomb that says, you can really know God, and you can know him intimately. And how do we know that? Because Jesus reveals that. So I want you to grasp this. Let this reality sink into us, that Jesus uses this name, Abba, on many occasions, mostly just with his disciples, on many occasions, though. How do we pray? Our Abba in heaven. That's the Aramaic term. Hallowed be thy name. He's teaching them to come into a place of intimacy that they have not even conceived of before. So when he says his father, my father, our father, heavenly father, or Abba, he is saying something so radical that it made the religious people furious. And I think the really hungry people curious. But we read it, we've read it all of our lives. It, it doesn't stand out to us, does it? We just assume everybody understood that. So why would he use those terms if he knew it was so sacrosanct and would cause such problems? I don't think Jesus would just do that to get under people's skin or, like we would say, just to stir up religious devils. He did that enough anyway. We know Jesus came to show us the Father, John 14, 9. 
But, but let's not skip over that too quickly. It's casual to us because we're conditioned to reading it in the Scriptures this way. But he called God Father, a blasphemous term, a term that they eventually uh, used to get uh, him to the crucifixion. Was he just trying to stick it in their eye? No, he is trying to bring his disciples to see something, get hungry for something, to see where this really works in practical application. So I begin to study every instance that I could find in the Gospels where Jesus used this intimate term when talking to or about God. What I begin to suspect was that Jesus is connecting us to critical and practical issues of life in sonship to help us to see that this is central to everything that he's come to do, central to who you are as one whom God has made and God loves. So let me give you a couple of examples. I'll show you some. It'll be very easy for you to go to your your Bible gate, whatever your choice is and your tools to do your research and your lexicon. Just go in and look farther in the Gospels. And uh, you'll see a lot of opportunities to begin to search out the context. What was Jesus talking about? And what was he really trying to open up to them by using the term Father in this way? Matthew 6, we know it well. And he's talking about the, this passage of, uh, of how the Father takes care of plant life and animal life, right? Uh, so this is, this is the way they knew God. In the Old Testament, they knew the father of creation that would care for the plants and the animals. And Jesus is not just setting up humanity on a different level just to set us apart from the animal life. He's showing us that we belong in the father's family when he says, if the father, if your heavenly father, oh, I love it when he brings us into it, your heavenly father, that was different on their ears. If your heavenly father would take care of all the plant life, the lilies of the field, and all the animals, the birds of the air, how much more will he take care of you? So Jesus is revealing to and inviting the disciples in to begin to see Abba in a new way. The father who knows what you need before you even ask. So much so that we should, what? He says, take no thought. For tomorrow, you don't even have to worry about what you're going to eat or what kind of clothes you're going to put on. What? This is. This sounds irresponsible. This sounds too good to be true. This sounds outlandish. But what he's saying is a son who really comes to know they are a son of this good, good father has no worries. When you know that your father knows what you need even before you do, your father cares and your father owns it all, this was a certain new way for the Jewish people to look at God. And it became the, what John would say, the good news, the evangelon, the good word that God can be known and that he loves you. So they were used to praying almighty God, as we said, Adonai, creator of the heaven and earth that brings forth the precious fruit of the earth. That would be their prayer before every meal. Adonai, almighty God, you're so powerful. You bring forth the, the fruit of the earth and you watch over us and provide for us. They understood that as creator of the earth, God could make it happen. This is why they offered sacrifices to make sure that he kept doing that. But that's still no guarantee that he wants to do it, you see. And so why should we trust God to the point that we don't take any thought for tomorrow? Jesus says it's because his father is a good father who knows that we, what we need of even before we ask. And in saying it, he says, because I am love, I'm already on it. I'm working on tomorrow before you even get there. Jesus makes this basic provision. Listen now. He makes this basic issue of provision. Am I going to have enough tomorrow? Am I going to have food to eat? Am I going to have enough to pay my bills? This basic issue of provision becomes a key sonship issue. He says, if you know God like I do, you would know that he is a good father and he has no higher priority than to care for his kids. And once you see it, <laughs> you'll quit grabbing for stuff. You'll drop the whole game of self-preservation and self-provision. Once you see that God knows you, loves you, cares for you more than the birds, the animals, the lilies, it's a sonship issue. Matthew 6 is an explosion of sonship and the Father's love for us. And Jesus pulls us in when he says, 
our Father, our Heavenly Father, thinks this way. Notice Jesus didn't say Adonai is almighty and he's big enough to provide for you. Well, of course he is. They believe that. That's the way they prayed. But we don't have faith in his abundant provision because he's mighty God. We have faith because we know he is a good father who loves us and wants to. You see, faith begins where the will of God is known, not the power of God. We all know God has the power. But what's his will? Does he want to take care of me even when I haven't done everything perfectly? That's a revelation of the father. So it's the relationship that secures the trust. In other words, we have nothing to lose, nothing to prove. So this is how we identify sonship issues. This simple insight has me on a whole new adventure, and I, I want to invite you on this adventure with me. In fact, I'm hoping you'll dig some stuff up that I don't see, and we'll get to share it together and grow together. I want to challenge you to look up five, six, seven, eight passages where you see Jesus using uh, the name Abba or Father, especially if he's using our Father, my father, your father, he says to Mary in the garden, uh, touch me not, I've not yet ascended to my God and your God, my father and your father. Oh, what a powerful place <laughs> of intimacy. Jesus brings Mary right, the day of his resurrection brings her right in. You're, you, you, you don't have to stay out at a distance anymore. He's pointing to life. He's showing us that sonship is the key. Let me just give you one more. Uh, and then we just want to open it up. I know you've got some stuff you want to share. So I want to take you over to, to Peter's revelation that Jesus is the Messiah, Matthew chapter 16. And, and what we see here is that sonship is a revelation issue, and revelation is a sonship issue. Now, let me talk about that. Matthew 16, 17, Peter receives a revelation that Jesus is the Messiah. And then what does Jesus say? Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father. The Father's doing what? He's revealing. They thought he was hiding, but he's revealing. But my Father who is in heaven has revealed this to you. Then over in Luke chapter 10, verse 21, Jesus rejoices in the Spirit. He sent out the 70. They come back, and in that hour, Jesus rejoiced and said, I thank you, Father. Think about this. These guys have gone out, and they've seen healing through their hands. They've cast out devils, and they've never seen that before except when Jesus did it. Now they're doing it, and guess what impact that has? He uses that moment to bring them in to a father relationship. I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and revealed them to babes. Even so, Father, for it seemed good in your sight. It's a good father who sees good to bring us into revelation. So I'm not suggesting that one has to be a mature son way down the journey in sonship before you can receive revelation. Quite the opposite. Uh, I am saying that Jesus is identifying how sonship comes by a process of revelation in our spirit. We talk about 1 Corinthians chapter 2 is the real detailed breakdown that Paul gives us. We know Holy Spirit is the agent for transformation. The Abba cry in our hearts is the Holy Spirit doing work in us. And this points to more than just getting a revelation, but it really points to the process. What do we do with the revelation once we receive it? Every one of us, now I'm going to get into I'm going to get into our business here a little bit. <laughs> Every one of us ha have seen people who receive a word from God, get a prophetic word maybe, uh, but then they interpret that word in an orphan way or through an orphan mindset. I want you to think about how Paul received the prophetic word. Paul received a prophetic word from Agabus, I think it's Acts chapter 16, uh, no, 21. And he goes to Jerusalem. Uh, Agabus says, if you go to Jerusalem, you're going to be bound. And he takes his own girdle and he binds him up. In other words, you're going to be thrown in prison. You're going to be arrested, thrown in prison. And Paul says, wait, everywhere I go, the Spirit bears witness that this is going to happen. But how did Paul apply that prophetic word? I know how I would have applied it. Don't go to Jerusalem because <laughs> I'm not particularly fond of going to jail. But listen how Paul applied it. Through the orphan mindset or self-preservation? No. He said, oh, my, I can't go to Jerusalem or I'll go to jail. Oh, God forbid that I'd go to jail. No. No, he wasn't concerned about self-preservation. He wasn't concerned about going to jail. 
Jesus had told him in his first mission statement to Paul that you're going to suffer many things for my name's sake. Paul knew it, wasn't afraid of it. He even said to be absent from this body to be present with the Lord. Then he actually said in Acts 21, 13, what do you mean by weeping and breaking my heart? For I'm ready not only to be bound, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, that is a son who is not afraid of death because he knows to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. He knows the goodness of God, and he knows God's going to preserve him, preserve him until he finishes his course and runs his race. So let's talk about this for just a minute because it really comes down to how we apply what the Lord tells us in a revelation. If you interpret a prophetic word through an orphan lens, that would be self-provision, self-protection, self-preservation, you will assume that God's telling you or you may assume that God is telling you not to do something when in fact he's just letting you know that now's the time or now's not the time or this is the way such and such is going to happen. You're going to get to Rome, Paul, but this is how you're going to go. <laughs> you're going to get an escort. Many people are baptized in the Holy Spirit and live in the land of visions and dreams. Joel says when you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, you're going to see visions, you're going to dream dreams, and that's, that's abundance of revelation. But did you know you can be baptized in the Holy Spirit and not yet walking in a revelation of sonship? Hmm. What does that mean? That means when you're receiving visions and dreams, there's all kinds of ways that's going to get interpreted. You can move fluidly in the realm of the prophetic and not be progressing in sonship. You can go to every prophetic conference and be a prophecy magnet, but you may also be interpreting your prophecies through an orphan lens, assuming that the prophetic word is confirmation for what you already want to do. Now, that's not the case of anybody here, but I've seen it before and probably guilty of it many times. How many of you have seen people use a prophetic word as confirmation to do something that they already had in mind or that was easy to do? Want to leave town, want to take a trip around the world, whatever it might be. And we've seen many lives damaged either by orphan-minded prophets or by orphans receiving prophecies and interpreting them to their own hurt. Now, Peter received a revelation that Jesus was the Messiah, but does that mean all of a sudden He's making all the right decisions. No, we watch him continually. He's growing out of it. He's getting bolder. He gets filled with the Holy Spirit, preaches the first sermon. He's the one that's got now signs and wonders happening. If people get so close as his shadow, yeah, there's some growth going on there. But 10 years later, he's still struggling with prejudice. What are we saying? We're saying that spirit of sonship is a process of the Holy Spirit and maybe probably a lifelong process but what I want you to do is see how that Jesus pulls the name of the Father in to all of these key places. For Peter, he says, the Father revealed this to you. He's linking into Peter the reality that Peter didn't make this up, nor did he come to it in his own genius. But he's got a relationship with the Father, and that's going to be the way that he's going to move in to fulfill everything that God has planned for him. And it's the way you and I are going to move into everything he has planned for us. Will we make mistakes? Yes. Will we misinterpret a prophecy on occasion? Probably. There's all kinds of ways of godly counsel, etc. But certainly as you move into the Father's love and the Father's embrace, you realize that even when you do, it's not fatal. Even when you make a mistake, Father's there to pick us up. He's there to love on us and heal us. So what does this say to you? Uh, what do you want to say uh, about this or what other questions this might stir up in you? Anybody have anything here? Chicky, you got you something wanna, you want to share? You wanna, so so. Since Carrie mentioned the, the idea of provision, does anybody have a thought on, on provision as a sonship issue that you want to speak to? Just thinking on John 6, I kind of put it in here, but... Um, you know, where I think it's in John six, where the feeding of the 5,000 who have been following him because they see miracles. And, you know, he's like, hey, knowing what he was going to do. Hey, Philip, you know, where, where 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 should we go get stuff? And so the thing is, is like he knows and I feel like the enemy knows we can't see him. We see what we see and we we miss this God factor. We miss this this divine alchemist that's right there. But if they say, if they bring it to him and say, but what is this among so many, you know, at least they had that conversation with him and then he could give the instruction, have everybody sit down. Mm -hmm. And so at least if we recognize 
that all we can see is that there is not enough. And we recognize that any notion of lack is an accusation against God. A lack of time, a lack of provision, mm-hmm. a lack of affection, a lack. It's it's the knowledge of good and evil, and then and then we live grasping out of that. But the tree of life is the knowledge of the one true God and Jesus Christ to be sent. So just receiving, being open to like understand that he loves us and he knows already. Mm. And so there will be an instruction we don't understand. And so what we have in our hand, plus the instruction that comes from him is going to, it will produce more than enough with so much left over. I love, I love two things that you bring up there, um, Hillary, in, in, in what you just shared. And I think one that stands out to me is that an orphan spirit will try to be self-sufficient. So even for an orphan spirit, it's hard to recognize the need for God to help. You know, but, and, and I love um, Robert Fair Capon has the book on the parables of grace, and that one really impacted me. But the idea that we really don't understand grace until we're willing to acknowledge that there's nothing that we bring to the table. <laughs> there's, like, it's really just up to him. And the other thing I think is that the conversation with him so that the, one of the sonship issues having to do with provision is not just a knowing that God will provide. It's the coming to him to have a conversation about him. I just I ran quickly here to John chapter six. My interest, of course, is to see if it bears out that in this miraculous provision story, Jesus introduces God as father, not only to his disciples, but to oh. the crowd. And in John chapter 6, 26, 27, uh, he says, Not because you saw signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal upon him. And then just a few verses later, he says, Most assuredly, I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true and living bread of heaven. I want you to begin to notice when Jesus is breaking through with provision, when Jesus is breaking through with healing, he will use those opportunities to introduce people to a father they've never seen care for them in that way before. Mm-hmm. Excellent uh, passage. Yeah. Thank you. I think Rick, Rick just mentioned that relaxing into his timing is the difficult part of believing for provision. <laughs> and, I, and I think... I, I've seen, again, both two extremes on that. One is the, the drive to, I have to make it happen myself. Mm-hmm. And the other one is the, the very first global uh, sonship forum thing that we had. I think Keith brought up the question, like, doesn't this sound too passive? And I have seen so many people like, go to like, well, then I can just sit back and cross my arms and don't have to do absolutely anything because the Father is going to provide. And that seems like, a, like that's not the right balance in terms of provision. Like, like, like sons engage with the Father, obey right. the Father, ask right. the Father and do whatever the Father says. It doesn't mean we don't do anything. It means we, we do what he tells us to do. So the timing issue that you, that you bring up, Rick, is huge because it's, it's really the, the learning how to walk out what the Father's saying. Right. And I'd also just like to mention to you that uh, what, we, what we try to understand is that a conversation with God in the cool of the day is in the spirit and in the spirit dimension there is no time and the more you're with him in the spirit the more time means very little to you in the spirit there's no pressure there's no impulse of time oh I'm running out of time I got to do this quick I got to hurry I got to make this happen because in the spirit is eternity there's no clock ticking in the spirit right? So you can always tell if you're in the spirit or not in the spirit by the pressure you feel uh, to meet the clock, to meet the deadlines, to meet the pressures and the pulls. That's why the Father keeps inviting us into this place of intimacy with him. He wants us to walk with him in the cool of the day because in that place, there's no sense of time, no sense of pressure. That's where we really get the bath. We get the shower from heaven that washes us from this sense that I'm not doing enough. I'm not being enough. I'm not saying enough. I've got to do more. I got to work harder. You know, and uh, if you get in the spirit, yes, 
people will look at that and say, you know, where are your goals? Where's your five-year plan? You know, you look. But I always go back to looking at Jesus. Jesus is the perfect son. I think he looked very relaxed, but he was always busy. Busy in the sense that he was always about his father's business. There is a difference between being herded and pushed and rushed into something and doing something because you know this is what the father said to do. There should be a sense of dignity on our lives, this cool, calm spirit on us when we're walking with God. Is that always the case for me? No, it's not always the case. I I feel the pressure coming on me sometimes. And that's why praying in the spirit is, to me, the way to break through (laughs) those barriers and uh, it is a real reality for us. We live in a very time-oriented world, a push-push world. And that's why the voice of the Spirit's always calling us back to walk with Him. Yeah. seems to me that, it, talking and hearing what you're saying right now, Carrie, that the, um, one of the true measures of whether we're walking in sonship in terms of provision is not, are we having all our needs met, but are we being generous? <laughs> because, mm. because a lack of generosity shows that we're still trying to self-preserve. Yes. Right? And so I think the real sonship is, is going beyond having our needs met and being free to be generous on every occasion, even if that means that the numbers don't look right in right. your mind. Right. You know, we talk about the competition of generosity, and we say that that's the only competition that you don't keep score. And the, the sense of having lack, the sense of not making enough, not doing enough, is, is keeping score. I'm keeping score with other people that are making more than me. I'm keeping score with how much I made last year. So as the Holy Spirit begins to give us this sense that I don't have to take thought for money. He's already in tomorrow. He's, he's got that for me. I'm just going to praise you now. I'm going to bless you now. doesn't mean I sit on the couch and watch TV and, and, and launch a GoFundMe page. It doesn't mean I do any of those things. It doesn't mean that I, every time I pray, I'm praying out my needs so somebody will hear it, you know, and, and maybe God will speak to them. To answer. No, it means there's this peace on you that you know it's going to come. And if it doesn't come the way you think it will, it doesn't mean God's any less God. It means he's actually bigger. He's, he's working and he's doing what he's going to do uh that does require us to stay in his presence doesn't it that's the thing i love about worship we don't worship for worship's sake we don't worship 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 is where we come and we open our hearts up to him and we get into that timeless place where there's no rush no push only his words that create faith in us mm-hmm. and your thoughts on provision jeremy you're raising your hand i think is that just a praise yeah. or is it something you want to say no <laughs> No, we actually, yeah. <laughs> Although praise is, is our thing <laughs> for sure. But um, no, I, I, I wanted to actually touch on the provision thing because that's I think that's something that Holly and I have walked out and lived out even before we really had an understanding of, of around. We had language for sonship, but not the revelation aspect of it. But that's only because we didn't know that's actually what the father was teaching us. So like even like 10 and 12 years ago, this, this whole thing about provision, um, the Lord was really bringing us to this place of understanding that he is the one that sustains us and, and was getting ready to take us into a pretty radical journey of Mm, living completely by faith. Yes. And, and, and so we've done that now for about a decade and, and, and he has shown up. I mean, we have thousands of testimonies of miracles of provision and multiplication yes, and all of those things. And, but the thing that I wanted to point out and you guys kind of touched on it was, you know, we really see that at the very basis of the orphan mindset is this fear of lack, this mm-hmm. fear of not having my needs met. And so Jesus comes and he's like, Hey, we need to deal with, this big mindset that I'm, I'm not going to have my needs met. And, and even says this thing in Matthew six, where in the context of, you know, worrying about food or clothing or, or shelter or anything like that, he says that those thoughts dominate the minds of unbelievers. Mm -hmm. And, and here, and, and so I think that he's wanting us to foundationally know that provision is, it's a done deal. Like this isn't something that you need to consume your thought life with, and you're designed to have an experiential revelation, a a, a gnosko, a a experiential knowledge of how God provides for you um, so that you can begin to be other centered. We will never, ever be other centered. We, like Cheeky was saying, we're, we're not going to have that generous heart 
because we're going to be so consumed with, oh my gosh, are we going to have enough this month? Or am I, am I going to have enough, uh, you know, you know, to just meet my own needs. And so, um, there's such a place if we're going to actually move into what it means to be a son and especially mature sons who know my father at the very foundation, I know I'm going to be taken care of. I will have what I need to have when I need to have it. And so that is, that, that's like such a foundational truth and revelation in sonship that's designed for us to actually launch from. Yes. It's not like the thing that says we're sons. It's, it's actually the launching point and the foundation for everything else that we get to do partnering with the father coming into the fullness of what it means to, you know, our inheritance yes. and living in the spirit and the fullness of all things that have been poured out functioning in every good and perfect gift that he's lavished upon us uh, as a love gift, <laughs> yeah. you know, through our connection with Jesus out of Ephesians one. So um, I really feel Powerful. like, you know, the whole point of us grabbing hold of this provision is, is uh, such a foundational thing. And just to finish up on that, I think that the thing in our culture that comes to violate that is that we don't ever allow ourselves to be put into a situation where we're actually having to trust the Lord right? because we would, that's called unwise. Yeah. It's, I can't even tell you how many people came to me and said I was making God look bad and said that I was being irresponsible and that I was yeah. not providing for my family the yeah. way that I should be providing for them. Yeah. And I shouldn't, now I was not being irresponsible. You can ask my wife, you can ask anyone around me. I was probably one of the busiest dudes you've ever met. Mm. My bank account didn't look like it, but everything else in me, I was spending myself for the Lord and doing the things that he put in front of me, being obedient to his voice the way that I could. And so I think that because it doesn't match our worldview, especially the Western uh, worldview about how we're supposed to do life, you know, we would call it irresponsible or, um, I was called all sorts of things, but uh, we don't ever allow ourselves to get to the point where we, we actually experience God right. being our sole provider. Yeah, I think Cheeky likes to say, I, wa I, I wanted to take a step of faith that required no faith. <laughs> Looks like faith, but really wasn't. That, that's powerful. You guys have lived it. And uh, Jeremy, it'd be great if you, if you came to our Sons and Daughters Conference in October ready to share uh, something along those lines, because That's the, <laughs> the real issue, the real issue is for us to get, get on the father's business, right? To get on the father's mission. This is the whole thing. The earth is groaning for waiting for the sons and daughters to get up, get on the father's mission. Mm -hmm. And what's keeping us from getting on that mission. What's keeping us from getting on us. We, we're afraid we'll run out of stuff. You know, we're afraid somehow he won't provide for us. I love something uh, Dave really said, wrote here that, that goes ties right along with that. Great summary. The orphan spirit separates provision from the father, mm. but That's sons good. see the provision in the person. And, That's and really, good. that is the key. That's right, good. So, very good. Write that down. All right. Um, so, let's talk. I know we're we have mindful of the time. So, um, do we want to jump on the prophetic real quick? And does anybody have any comments on the prophetic? I think, Josh, you had something um, up here on the prophetic you want to talk about that you have audio. I think he may not have audio. So Josh Wheeler says, um, I've experienced orphan-minded people giving a prophetic word to another person, but that message was something they actually desired for themselves. And so they prophesy it over others. And he says, it's sad when a, when a living, uh, it, it's a sad way of living a pseudo-vicarious life through others instead of living in one's true sonship identity in genuine trust and contentment sourced by one's relationship with Abba. I, I call it true. goodwill projections. Yeah. A lot of prophecies are just goodwill projections. I like you as a person. I want good things to happen to you, so I'm going to speak uh, that big international ministry. <laughs> it's always got to be global. Um, and I think that's, that's good. I mean, I think there's, there's, uh, there's this, this part of us as believers. We want to encourage one another, and we should encourage one another. You just don't have to say, thus saith the Lord. Uh, it doesn't have to be that because then people take that and it and it becomes a burden, a yoke on them. Now I got to go make this happen. No, you don't. If the Father said it, He'll do it, mm -hmm. and we just keep our hearts open. That's a really but, good word. Yeah, one of the things I've been 
thinking recently about the prophetic. Uh, we were talking about, in your Easter message, about the idea that there's no resurrection without a death, and we want, we want Jesus' victory without having to go through anything. But we don't, Jesus never said that we can avoid every bad thing that we fear. He said, in this world we shall have tribulation, but we can be of a good cheer. And I started thinking about a lot of prophetic words that, it's stories about prophecies and how they were fulfilled. And many of them came right before something really bad happened to the person. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, like there's a prophetic word that says, you know, you're going to abound financially and then the person loses the job the next week. Or I remember in my situation, right before my late husband passed away, the Lord had given me a prophetic word about your days are not over and there's going to be a ministry. And I think a lot of times we have forgotten that one function of the prophetic is to give us the strength that we need while we're going through something difficult. So we want the, we want the fulfillment of the prophetic word without having to go through anything. Mm. And so we end up doing these goodwill projections. Everything's going to be fine. Everything's going to be fine. And then when we go through something, then God's at fault or who's at fault because because it doesn't work, but I think sons recognize the grace of the Father mm. in speaking to us mm. things that we need to know that are going yeah. to carry us through something difficult. We'll go back to Agabus prophesying for Paul. He, he's telling him what's about to happen. Was that so that Paul wouldn't go? That's the way we would interpret it, but no, Paul saw it. Okay, God's encouraged me. He's prepared me. He's letting me know ahead of time what's going to happen, and I'm going to be ready for it. His grace will be sufficient, as Jesus told him. So I think we probably have a lot less people going to prophetic conferences if they knew they get a prophecy mm -hmm. that's going to prepare them for something to come. I'm not against prophetic conferences. I mention it, and I, I laugh about it because we have a tendency for the prophets to all go get in their thing, and the pastors all get in their thing, and the apostles get in their thing where the, when we're supposed to be together, sharpening each other and balancing each other out. I do believe in revelation. You know I do. I believe that uh, the greatest thing you can walk in is a spirit of wisdom and a revelation with Jesus, where you know that you know that you know. I am for revelation. I think what we're trying to say in a pastoral way is that just because you receive a revelation doesn't mean you've yet walked out uh, the balance of that in a sonship kind of way. We then have to take what the Lord has said continue a conversation with him until he really lets us see what that's supposed to do in our lives. Sonship is the, is the thing. It's the, it's the incubator. It's the hothouse. It's, it's where all of these words grow in us and become a reality in our lives. So, you know, there's some, there's a very interesting thing going in the chat. We'll let that in the chat because I think we have about 15 minutes left and if it's okay with you, I'd love you to hear. Well, I'd love to hear from other people yes. about other sonship issues that you've seen through digging for them. Uh, did anybody, I guess I can share one really quickly that I found today. Um, it's actually surprising. Jesus talks about the Father a lot. and But there are only there's only one instance that I found in the Gospels where Jesus addresses God as Abba very clear, like using Abba specifically. And it's in Mark 14, and, and it, this is when Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he said, um, going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And I'm thinking, this is Jesus' hardest moment. He's going through the most difficult um, agony, I guess, of you know what, what he's facing. But it's, this is a place of total surrender. And so I was thinking, sonship... Uh, surrender is a sonship issue. And really, obedience is a sonship issue. If we don't know God as Father, then surrender and obedience are really not possible. So we can do a lot of self-effort. So but, but when we know Him as Father, then surrender yeah. is easy. And yeah, I think we, so we, we work too hard at trying to be obedient. Yeah, um, yeah and uh, I've looked at that passage a lot, you know, and, and it, it looks like, from a cursory reading, it looks like Jesus is looking for an out. You know, if if there's any other way, you know, let this cup pass from me. He wasn't. He, he had already committed himself. He had already said, this is my hour. This is why I'm here. Do I, do I now skip out? No. He was simply saying, I'm not setting my uh, compass on any particular method. God, however you want to do it. In, in other words, if you want to use the crucifixion, I'll go that way. If you want to use some other way, I'll go that way. But my eyes are on you. And that's where we have to be, I think. we Too often we, we think we know how God wants to do something. 
And then when it doesn't go just that way, we get disappointed. Jesus never got caught in that trap because he knew his father was good, knew best, and he could totally surrender his his life into the father's hands. And Cheeky, I think it's a beautiful way to say that, that uh, surrender and obedience are fundamentally uh, sonship issues. That's where you see the, the rubber really meet the road. Uh, Wendy, I see Wendy right here in the middle of my screen, but I don't know where I know you from. Do I know you, Wendy? We have not met personally, but I've recently started joining a table of friends. Okay. I've been for a few weeks. So Welcome. good to see you there. Good cool. to have you. Thank you. You have anything you want to throw in? Any stick you want to throw into the fire? I'm really here just to absorb. Cool. I'm. I just started the first book in the journey myself yeah. this week, so oh, cool. I'm just soaking it all up. Wonderful. Good to have you. Thank you, Thank Nathan. You. you always got something. Um, no, I was actually thinking about um, a lot of the, and I lost my note that I just had of what I, you know, trying to keep it organized, but through the the, the prophecy and the provisions and all all those, what I'm learning is. And to kind of chime off what Jeremy said about, you know, putting yourself in a position to actually trust and, and walk in faith, you know, with this transition I recently had, you know, having to find a place to live and I had no job and I signed this 12 month lease, with, you know, okay, God, here goes, here's your, here's, your, here's your shot, you know, and he he totally came through and, and this job came out of nowhere that I, you know, I was trying to find, you know, make all these things work and, and this one just came to me. And uh, I just love that about, you know, in, in the act of I'm trusting you, but I'm not just going to sit around and wait. Yes. You know, and that's, that's, that's one of those things that he's showing me that, you know, when we be, we, at the, you, you mentioned Galatians chapter four, a time appointed by the father, you know, the adoption, the weos, you know, it was sent out with, with, you know, to do business as the father. So trusting him, you know, that I am, he says, since you were, you are sons you know, God appointed Christ. And, and, and so I, I've, I've seen a lot of just being confronted with sonship and growing in it that I have had a lot of self-focus, like making sure all these prophecies I have in my head and all these thoughts, like, what do I am supposed to do? I don't want to sabotage these things. And just that war in the mind. And it's like, why am I so self-focused, you know? And, and so I feel like I'm making all these mistakes. And I recently heard this story that just brought this level of peace over me. It's about this. Um, I'm going to try to be quick. Uh, this, this Persian rug maker, who's like super famous over in uh, the middle East and kind of Western Asia. And like, if you want one of them rugs, you're spending tens of thousands of dollars and you're on like a 10 year waiting list. And so he had this little eight year old daughter that they were going to make a rug together. And so they, they're, they're weaving this rug together and it's like, everybody knows about it. And it, it's this just most beautiful rug you'd ever seen. And he was being interviewed. Like, so she got your gift, like to weave He says, Oh no, no. Every stitch she made was wrong. And they're like, really? Well, how did it, how did it turn out so great? He says, I anticipated her mistakes and I wove them in to the whole thing. And I just started to cry. Like that's the father's provision. That's the father, that's great. you know, forethought and just it. making it work and yes. his mercy and his grace and his love. And, and it's like, I had a conversation with John, you know, how do we receive these things? You know, we know these things, this revelation, how does it become, you know, incarnational? And you mentioned the word earlier, and I've had this conscious practice of when I read the word believe in scripture, when Jesus talks about your belief, like consciously read trust. Mm -hmm. Because I can yeah. believe those things about God, that that's what he's like and that's what he does, but I don't know if he really does it for me. Yeah. But if I trust him, it's for me. Yes. Yes, we've we've mechanized the term faith, uh, thingified it. But faith is the same way. Faith, belief, trust. It really comes down to Letting him uh, be him. Uh, so powerful. Uh, Deborah, Deborah. Yeah. Deborah, tell us what you have. You have to unmute. Yeah. Maybe Deborah's gone. She's well. <laughs> Let's see. So good. I want to okay. just while Deborah tries to get okay. Go I want to give you just a few points you might want to jot down in your search. Here's just some highlighters that I've seen in my search so far. 
when Jesus talks about the Father, our Father, my Father, uh, you'll see these things and many more. You've already brought up some fantastic things I'm, I'm eager to look into. One is how we treat one another, how we treat one another. He says those that are peacemakers will be called sons of God. How we treat one another, and that's there's a number of verses on that. It's a sonship issue. Uh, we think we can just kind of cast people off and let it be. No, it's a, it's a relational thing, and that's the Father's heart, and so it becomes a sonship thing. Second one is whether or not we live in a spirit of generosity. That's already been talked about. Generosity is a sonship issue. It's not a mechanical, if I do this, then God will do that, so I'm going to twist his arm. It's living out of a sense of overflow that I'll never lack because I know he loves me. Uh, a third one that I've found so far is that whether we live in, in partnership with the Father's mission or we're just busy, you know, uh, we've, we've, in our culture, we've traded in busyness for um, the Father's mission. We thought that if we were busy enough, then that would suffice. Uh, and so we go on social media and talk about how tired and how worn out we are because we're so busy. <laughs> yeah, uh, did the Father ask you to do it? That's the question. So he's going to deal with us about that. Is it religious works or is it a, son, uh, a sonship partnership? So our busyness is a sonship issue. And then the last one, This I've just got four bullet points here. Whether we are promoting ourselves or pointing to him is a sonship issue, self-promotion. And we see it everywhere. I see it everywhere in the church. Self-promotion, people trying to make a name for themselves and using uh, all of the uh, corporate vehicles, the worldly ways to, to self-promote. Why don't we let the Holy Spirit take us where he wants to take us and let Jesus promote us to the point he wants to promote us? I've, I've got a feeling he knows how much we can handle. <laughs> so that's always a sonship issue. Uh, so that we can just say, I'm not promoting myself. Uh, if I get promoted, it's because he's raising me up. So what else do you see? I would love to hear from you. There's yes, more so conversation. Deborah. Deborah, go ahead and share with us what you got. Well, I, I had a verse. When it, so, so many things that you all were talking about in the prophetic and all the different things about the giving and all that. But I, the verse that I had that when we were sitting here and, and I got the one, it was John 14, 26. And it says, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. And in that process, he will, he does, and he he desires. We do hear his voice, but sometimes, like you say, with a prophetic, you go to these places and want everybody to speak to you. We can prophesy over ourselves. <laughs> and, you know, in the fact that, you know, and then, you know, I think Tiki yesterday, you were talking about you know, getting, going deeper with the Lord. It's it's not taught, it's caught. And the revelation is if we could catch that of the understanding of who he really is. And I, I have gone through this journey within myself. The fact is that once I caught it, I realized the revelation of who I was in him that I don't have to worry because he is going to provide of everything. And like I said, he's my finances, you know, when I a young child and and just different things that I I um, I can't tell you. I mean, like, like the gentleman was talking, you know, the provision and still today I got people come and give me money and I don't, you know, for whatever reason, you know what I mean? It's just a wonderful thing. But I know the thing is that when I have my heart right and I give to the Lord because I love to give it's out of my heart of generosity, yes. you can't out give the Lord. And when you give, it comes back to you with places that you never even thought of. Mm -hmm. And so within that, you know, and then getting to know the Lord and going deeper. And I, I was my time with the Lord this morning and I was talking, I was thinking, well, there it is a sacrifice to get time of that intimacy with him. And when you do sit still and wait upon him, he will speak. Mm -hmm. And in that part of it, that's when he's going to call. We're going to receive that benefit of the fact of be to the being, being who he's called us mm -hmm. to be. And with that, that we are, can trust him for everything. Mm -hmm. yes. So that was just my, my part that, you know, all of that you were saying was awesome. But the fact is that he's a good Abba father, yes, yes, he is. Yes. but Abba father. And he is a provider. 
And so if he's a provider and his spirit is in us, then we're going to become providers. And I think this is one of the, the joyful parts of our journey. We, we so want to walk in sonship. And then, then we're surprised when all of a sudden we have sons and daughters seeing us as fathers and mothers. And, and that's happening to you. You turn around and say, wait, I don't have any of this figured out yet. I'm, I'm just trying to be a son. But because his spirit is in you, and he is a provider, he is a giver, he's one who cares, he's moved in his, in his deepest being for us, then that's happening in us too. We become providers. We're more conscious of giving than receiving. Didn't Jesus say something about that? It's more blessed to give than to receive. That's because it's the nature of the Father. Therefore, it's my nature. So anytime I get an opportunity to give to something and I feel this, uh, hold on to that, uh, don't give that, feel like I'm gripping something, that's a sonship issue, isn't it? So we just ask the Lord, just fill me again today. I want everything you have for me today. Fill me with your spirit so that I look like you, I sound like you, I walk like you and with you. I, I just want, to, you got something else you want to No, I was going to say, we, we've, Holly has had her hand up, and Hillary has something, too. I don't know if we have time to. No, Holly's to. in her car. I see the seatbelt on. She's just <laughs> smiling there, just frozen, smiling. Holly, you got something for us? I thought it was super sweet and affirming to me, Carrie, when you mentioned John 20 earlier, right after Jesus resurrected, and Mary is right there with Jesus, and she's like, teacher, and he's like, don't cling to me. I haven't ascended to my father, um, but go tell my brothers that, you know, I'm going to my father, your father. Mm-hmm. And he just affirms and reaffirms. And one of the things that always struck me kind of odd for years was the whole don't cling to me. I'm mm-hmm. like, what's up with that? That's so not relational. What's up, Jesus? <laughs> and so out of all the passages where Jesus is referring to my father, this one really struck me. So I was Mm. sitting with Holy Spirit and just kind of digging deeper into the Aramaic. And it really came down to really what Jesus said was, don't cling to me the way you once knew me. Mm -hmm. Now we are one. Mm -hmm. And looking at what Mary knew of him was teacher, Rabboni, teacher. Mm -hmm. And I thought, oh my goodness, isn't that, for me, that was that space of even everything I've experienced of the faithfulness of a good father, everything I've experienced even to this point of my oneness with Jesus, don't cling to that as the be all to end all. There is so much more that he wants to reveal, that he wants to display Mm. in that oneness. And I love how Jesus even took it the next step further. The first time that he didn't call his disciples, his disciples, they were my brothers. Mm -hmm. He was showing that revelation of you and I, are one. I am the truth about yeah, you. That yeah. the same fa- love the Father has for me, it's yours. So and so that that whole passage for me was really, it was really piercing and um, really just burned in me that space of oh my goodness, there's so much I've experienced, mm. but there's so much yes, more. Yes, and it's it's really the it's the mountain that I'm climbing right now. Because I've got so many years of experience in my past, and people could call me experts at this and that, and I can't know him that way anymore. I have to be willing to lay that down to see him in new ways, to see him as father, son, walking in ways that years ago I might have known him, maybe, you know, certainly better than somebody that, that didn't spend time with him, but. But I have to lay that down. The way he revealed himself to me in the past is not the way he wants to reveal himself to me now. And for all of us, uh, it's such an adventure, isn't it? It's such an incredible, joyous journey to wake up every morning. This morning I woke up. I'm letting uh, Ollie out the back door to, to, to do his thing. And the sun hadn't quite come up yet. And the cool breeze comes in. And it just washed over my soul. I just said, thank you, Father, for welcoming me into this new day. Every day is a gift. Every day is a gift from the Father. Everything you receive today came straight from his hand because he loves you. He is so in love with you, and he's giving and giving and giving. Most of the time, we don't even realize that came from him. And unless we take 
time out. That's what Shabbat is about. Take some time out to reflect on what God did these previous days. We miss it, and then we get stuck. As uh, you say, Holly, we get stuck in the way we used to know him, and we think that's enough. He's got so many new ways, so many things he wants to show us. Well, one last thing. Are we good? Hillary, have one. Hillary, okay. Hillary? I have a question, and uh-huh. um, so I'm thinking through it, but in this, I never thought of this, these passages in, you know, like Matthew 23 in terms of father, you know, the woe unto you, woe to you, woe to mm-hmm. you, you know, you, you love looking good on the outside. You love seeming to be holy, but you're dead. Your, your, your homes are abandoned and left destitute of God's help. And as I was sitting here thinking on like, okay, where is the invitation to the father? And I, and I wrote in after, oh yeah, they, they actually rejected mm-hmm. that he would be a father time and time again. And then at the end, Jesus says, how often I would have gathered your children. Mm-hmm. So I just wonder like what you think of all that in terms of like, you know, just fatherhood and what I just think the the the, the wrenching heart of the father, but I would love to hear mm-hmm. how this, these passages strike you. There's, there's no greater blinder than religion. And Jesus didn't have much patience, did he, with those that were standing and looking at the Son of God and uh, demanding that he keep the rules. Mm-hmm. Not much patience with that religious uh, spirit. Does that mean they didn't have a, a, an opportunity to know him? No, he was showing himself regularly to them. You see Nicodemus, you see you see uh, Arimathaeus, uh, Joseph of, of Arimathea. Arimathea. You see different Pharisees that are coming to him in the night. And so he's receiving them. It's not like doors are all closed for you. It's just that they were so blind. And then the thing that really gets the father's heart is the blind are leading the blind into a ditch. And so he drives out the money changers and says, don't you know that my father's house is to be a house of prayer for all nations. And uh, you can see that his passion is to get people past the hurdles and past the barriers of religion that has blinded them from the nature of a loving father to get them to see him for who he really is. So uh, anytime you see father, I just, I just want to put it in your heart again as a challenge uh, because I want to learn from you. I want to learn from what the Lord shows you. Look in the Gospels especially and, of course, Paul uses Father, John uses it, Peter uses it in their epistles. But where you see the term Father, look at the context and see how is Jesus trying to draw them in to a sonship reality with what he's saying to them and what he's showing them. Last thing I want to say to you, and I want to honor your time, uh, put on your calendar October the 6th, 7th, and 8th. It's going to be a marvelous time together. It's our Sons and Daughters Conference it's the first of, I trust, many will be here in DFW. I, I, the plan is to have it at Table of Friends. I don't know if we'll have room for everybody. If we don't, we've got some places we can go. But uh, we're looking at some some mighty fun stuff coming up. We're going to have people coming in from Bogota and Oregon and who knows where else, maybe even Arkansas, Nathan. So uh, we look forward to you coming, and I think – in my heart is for people that have a heart for sonship, we're going we're gonna to come in. We're just going to ask the Holy Spirit to give us all a B12 shot in the Holy Ghost just to, just to take us up a couple of notches in our understanding, sharpening one another, realizing that we're all on this journey together. And I'll just remind you, um, you don't have to worry about all the junk that's going on in the world today. In the middle of all of this, there are those that are going to be willing to say only human, humanism can figure this out, and they're getting 666 engraved on their foreheads. And at the same time, the Scripture tells us that God is with restraining judgment on this world until the lovers of God have the name of the Father, the name of the Son, and the name of the, the bride, the Spirit and the bride, on our foreheads. That is mindset. Until we get a mindset of sonship, a mindset that the Father's bringing it all back to him in his way and in his glory. So we can rest in that. We don't have to get drug into the fights that our world is just 
swallowed up in hatred about. So let's learn to bless our governors, our leaders, our presidents, those that are in positions of authority. doesn't mean they're doing it right. Uh, it just means if we bless them, we'll keep our heart right towards them, and God will be able to work in their lives. Father, I just thank you for these lovers of God who are having your name in the name of the Son inscribed on our foreheads, our mindset of our heart and mind. We thank you that you're using us in marvelous ways. Teach us and train us even tonight while we sleep. Train our thoughts in the night season. When we wake up in the morning, may we hear you singing over us and the invitation to come and sing and dance with you. We bless you for it. We thank you for all you're doing in Jesus' mighty name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. I love you much. Thank you for being with us. You've honored us with your time, and we trust that it'll bring a lot of benefit to you, especially as you dig into those Gospels and see the context of it. Have a great week. If you have other thoughts that come to you, please email them to us. Keep that coming. We want to learn from you. And uh, more and more time, uh, as, we're, as we go in these next few months, we're going to have some of you coming on as guests with us. And um, Ethan's going to help us figure out how to do that. But we'll, we'll give much more of the time for, for various ones of us to speak. Love you much. God bless you. Love you. Bye. Bye-bye.